Welcome to Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard and Candy Reid. This is the first edition of the Diary of a WTA Coach featuring the one and only Mark Gellard, coach of Magdalenette. Mark, welcome to the first edition of what we hope will be an excellent and long-running podcast. Candy, thanks a lot for having me and it's great to be here from Indian Wells, joining you on the first one. <laughs> it's a great place to start from. Yeah, you're looking a bit smug, aren't you? Because uh, behind you, you've got some nice blue skies, very warm in the California desert while in uh, London, England, uh, it's been snowing. People say I look smug anyway, but even more so now with the with the mountains behind. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great venue. I think that, you know, most players would probably say this is, even including the Grand Slams, this is their favourite, just from the way players are treated and the facilities and all that stuff, the environment. Would you agree with that, given how much you've travelled and seen different tournaments? You know, I probably would. It's such a great place for tennis. And it's so well organized. It's a nice big facility. So there's plenty of practice courts and all that kind of stuff, which is, you know, the important stuff to players. So it's, um, yeah, I would, I would probably say it's right up there. How many weeks a year do you travel? Oh, I mean, you know, we have the off season sort of mid-November, December, but I would say you're on the road 40, 40 weeks a year, give or take. And some coaches do a little bit more, a little bit less, but it's something in that range, yeah. Some players are training, you know, maybe in their country, so the coach is going to that person's country or training base, which might not necessarily be their home, if that makes sense. When you are waiting at home, is there a particular tournament that you look forward to going to? Because I'd imagine... After a while, it's a little bit of a drag. Once you get there, I'm sure that you get into the routine, but just thinking about packing up and leaving home for a, a good long time is, well, pretty tough sometimes. Yeah, I think, I mean, Australia is obviously probably the longest trip, the actual distance you're traveling. I think because everyone's had the off-season right beforehand, everyone's excited, fired up to get ready and go on that trip. So you're, you're not too bad on that one. I, I do struggle towards the end of the year in that sort of Asia swing, which we haven't done for a while now because you've just finished US Open. The year's starting to come closer to an end and then you've got to get on and do that long trip all the way back to Asia. But they have great tournaments, here, so it's a great place to be once you're there. But it's definitely a, that's one where you have to kind of pull yourself together for one more final push. And actually, the one, funnily enough, the one I struggle with the most is actually this one because we, we, we're coming from Miami to Indian Wells, but you're only out here for really one week one tournament and it's a pretty long flight from miami you go six hours and you don't have the luxury of the nice planes you know on those ones you're usually on a easy jet style flight crammed in for six hours and then you've got the three hour time change when you arrive so it's not the easiest actually this one so magda now having reached the semi-finals of the australian open is seeded at indian wells she gets a bye through the first round so how Many days in advance do you get to a tournament before you know she's going to play? This is the first time that she'll be seeded in a big tournament. And last week, she didn't do great in Austin. So we ended up going back to Miami for a few days, reset a little bit. And then we got out here. So qualifying in Indian Wells started Monday. It's currently Wednesday while we're recording this. Qualies is Monday and Tuesday, and then main draw starts today. But it's split. So the half the draw plays today, half plays tomorrow. So the first rounds will be done by tomorrow night. And we're, we've got a bye. So we will play either Friday or Saturday, singles. Um, and then also we have doubles. So doubles could, could be tomorrow. So we may end up actually playing a doubles before a singles this week. Is that 
convenient? Is that sort of a, a warm up? Because obviously Magda is focusing on singles more than doubles. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it's good for the players if they can have that opportunity to play doubles first. You know, you get out there, you feel the courts, you get a little bit of nerves out. You, you're, you're in a, a proper situation, umpires, all kids, all that kind of stuff. So I think that it's it's a nice way to prepare for your singles. So you know, I think that's good, and she's looking forward to that. And she's played; she made semi-finals of the French Open two years ago in doubles. So she can play a little bit of doubles. I think she got into the top 30 in the rankings. We actually just finished off now with the chaos of signing in for doubles, which closed about an hour and 20 minutes ago. Which is which is a system I don't love. It's a lot of chaos right before with players switching partners and trying to figure out at the deadline at 11:59 who's going to get in and who's not, and it's not the most pleasant thing to do. Some players organise a doubles partner sort of at the beginning of the year. I guess it's those players that are more focused on doubles. So how does Magda choose a partner, and how do you help her? In advance of the tournament, you can enter based on your doubles ranking. And then on site, they take, I think it's five teams that can enter on site based off of their singles rankings. Uh, but don't quote me on that. I do need to check the rules. But there's it's, it's there's an advanced entry and then an on-site entry, which you can do. And it's just going to be a combined ranking. So if Magda's 21 and she plays with a girl that's ranked nine, either singles or doubles, you can take your highest one. She'd have a combined ranking of 30. So she's going to be, that would be their ranking going in. So there's a lot of changing right before the deadline at 12 o'clock comes on to see who's getting in because we were just out when we signed in we were just out so we're having to change partners and then the partners trying to change partners and her partners partners trying to change partners so <laughs> it's um a bit chaotic but uh fortunately we were able to get in and it's also you know we have to be realistic as well it's it's, it's something that you want to do because it's a great thing to play doubles in these events you have a, you want to go win a tournament and there's significant money at this, at this level i think that the prize money for a first round loss in doubles is $18,000. That's a lot of money. And I know Magda had a nice start to the year, but you want to then capitalize on that, you know, on that having a better ranking. You now want to use that to your to your advantage by being able to play doubles in the bigger tournaments and make a push there. Does that take the pressure off singles then? If you know you've got X amount of money coming in from the doubles? Uh, no. I don't think so. I think it's nice to have it and you can at least at the end of the week, no matter what happens in the singles, you can say, well, it's, it's financially been a good week. But I think you could win the doubles tournament here. But if you're losing first round in the singles, it's going to be seen as a bad week for us. Um, yeah, I think ultimately we're going to judge it how we do on the singles. I think, I think it's lovely for us non-professionals to look at the game and think all these players absolutely love tennis and you know they're doing their hobby. But it is a business, isn't it? It's all about making money for the future and you don't know how long the career is going to be no absolutely and that's that's the tough part when you're playing with a girl you know you, you, you've chosen your partner but now you're not going to get in so you're you're maybe three spots out of being in so so do you stick together as you agreed to or do you both say look we're not helping each other right now let's both try and repair with somebody else and get into the draw and it's a tricky situation but ultimately it is a business we're here for business we're here to, she's got to make money and, and that money will pay a lot of expenses for the rest of the month. So I think it's it's a tough one to do. But um, yeah, like you said, it, it is a business. Magda will get her hotel paid for by the tournament as long as she's in. But she has to pay for you and her other coach, Ian Hughes, to eat, to travel and to stay in hotels. Anything else that you can think of? Indian Wells is, is one of the best ones. They give you a guaranteed minimum number of nights in the hotel. So during this tournament, she gets 10 nights. 
no matter what. So if she loses first round singles and doubles, make draw players get 10 nights paid for. And they have about five or six hotels that they've selected that you can stay in. You choose which one you like based on availability and that will be paid for. So she can check in and for 10 nights. So even if she's lost first round, we can continue staying. She's got to pay for my hotel with Ian. Um, and then on top of that, she's got to cover our food. Now, now with the food, it is expensive, but you know, usually hotels provide breakfast and on site, everybody who is on site gets a credential. So I actually have mine right here. So this badge with the barcode at the bottom has a uh, amount of money. So every day, I believe we get $35 on that badge that we can use in the player cafeteria restaurant. And then she also gets uh, 80, maybe 80 or a hundred dollars a day. So with that money combined, we're usually able to eat lunch on the site and snacks without having to spend anything out of her pocket. Um, and then you're just paying for dinners. Usually you could still sometimes, some players choose to eat on site if they've got money left over. I think most of the players like to go back and, you know, change, shower, and then, and then go to a restaurant. Like last night we were in the Cheesecake Factory and uh, the night before P.F. Chang's. So, yeah, we're putting on some weight as well. Yeah, Cheesecake Factory doesn't sound awfully healthy. Is it a healthy diet for Magda during a tournament? Yes, I believe that she eats well. I think some players pay more attention than others. For me, nutrition is important, obviously, but I think at that level, they're burning so many calories that it's basically just making sure that they're getting enough calories. They're not really, none of these girls are worried too much about putting on weight and things like that because they're just working so much during the day. It's two, three hours a day of practice in the gym. So really, it's just trying to get in the right stuff. So she usually has sensible things, pasta with chicken, um, very occasionally would have a pizza every couple of weeks. But most of the time, it'll be standard, you know, chicken, pasta, turkey, rice, that kind of stuff. So lots of proteins, lots of veggies. Yeah, exactly. I don't. I can tell you the coaches don't stick to that diet either. I think me and Ian killed a. Uh, I had steak medallions, and Ian got some kind of. Um, he got a burger, and then we washed it down with a cheesecake and a coke. So, um, <laughs> yeah, there's a the coach's diet and then the player's diet. <laughs> You're enjoying yourself. Is it true that uh, she gets a BMW to drive around? Yeah, in? brilliant. First year here, Indian Wells, they have a deal with BMW, so they got. 200 cars this year, BMWs. Um, so all players in the main draw, singles and doubles, are getting a car to drive, which is great. And actually, I think it's a benefit to the tournament as well because I think they then have to reduce the amount of transport they provide with drivers and things like that. So it's been great. They just gave us a car. It's a beautiful X5 BMW, and we have it as we like. So it's really convenient. So where have you been in the BMW? So far, we've been pretty boring. There is some really nice hikes that you can do around here. And we've been to a place at National Park, Joshua Tree National Park. They have here. We've done that a few times before. Just sort of driving around. I know Magda always wants to go to the outlets here because they have good outlets. So I'm sure she'll go there. But it'll be it probably after she's finished with her singles and doubles matches this week. So, yeah, it's mainly just to and from the site. It just really makes it convenient for the players. And, and it's so convenient here with the hotels being literally a two-minute drive from the site. That makes such a difference you know, for the place. So overall, the, the facilities here and just the way it's laid out is great. And what about practice partners? How do you pick a practice partner? The days leading up before we play now, we're doing two hours a day of, of practice. The way they, they, they stagger it here is it's not always the best system, but it's what they do here is that you can only book one hour. So you book an hour and when you finish your hour, you can then go in and book a second hour if you want a second hour. So we practice today at 12 o'clock till one with Sloan Stevens 
And once we finished, I can then go back in and say, listen, we'd like to practice again. What do you have available? And they'll give us the next thing they have available. And we can sign up then with either somebody that's already looking to practice with some other player. Or if there's no one as there isn't right now, we put our name plus looking. So that means any other player that wanted to practice could see our name and go, oh, okay, we'd like to practice with Magda. Nobody signs up. It can be with the coach, just with the coach. So I can go out there and practice and hit the ball with her or feed balls. Or we can request a hitting partner that the tournament will provide somebody that's good enough that can hit with her. Is there someone with a style of play that you like her to practice with? Usually we're just trying to find somebody that's going to be similar to what we would get in the match that we've got. So, so in this week's match, we're playing. It's a little bit trickier because we're seeded. We don't know yet who we're playing until the first round has been played. So we will play the winner of Danko Kovanic and Emma Raducanu. Obviously, they're two different players. They play different ways. So it's tricky right now for us to sort of be specific on what we want with a practice partner. So we're just focusing more on having match play, focus, working on what we want to do. Obviously, we would we always requesting from when the draw came out that we have a right-handed player. We actually practiced on Tuesday, I think it was Monday, with Yu Wang, Chinese player. Mm-hmm. She's left-handed. It was a great practice, but now we're going to try to avoid practicing with left-handed players because we're not going to see that kind of a ball. Other than that, now we're pretty open. Until that first round has been played, we just don't know what we're going to get. And in the two hours of practice per day, how much are you doing match practice? How much are you doing drills? How much is she doing conditioning on court? Sort of break it down for us. Everyone's different, but for us, we're looking for two hours a day. So we get our two separate hours and we're going we're gonna to look to get a, another player. They'll warm up for about 15, 20 minutes. Um, they'll hit down the middle, they'll warm up their volley, serve, return, and then they'll just play. And they'll play until the hour is finished. So the set might not be finished, but unfortunately you get bumped off your court because someone else is coming. Uh, So you'll just try to play points and you'll maybe have one, possibly two areas of focus that you may be saying, listen, let's, let's really focus on having a high percentage of first serves because the girl we're playing first round is probably going to be really attacking our second serves. That's the way she plays. So that might be a focus point. And Ian and I, during the practice, we're going to provide feedback from time to time, but as we get closer to the match coming, so we're going to play Friday or Saturday, the Thursday or Friday practice, we will virtually say nothing. We will wait till the end of the practice to review with her some points that we think. Now, she can ask a question, of course, anytime. Hey, should I have done this? What do you think I should do there? And once in a while, we'll jump in, but she needs to start getting in that mode of problem solving on her own, being on her own and almost feeling like she's playing a match in real conditions. How much does it matter how well she performs in match practice? Because uh, we all know that match practice isn't the same as a a real match, but confidence can be really greatly attained, can't it, in a match practice and and also the other way? It's funny because um, I think you want to feel that you've had a good practice and you want to, it gives you a good feeling of confidence. With Magda, one of the things over the years is if we go out there and we practice well and we play let's say we play six seven eight practice sets before the tournament starts at that at that site i have found we don't perform well i've found that it's it's not that we've peaked too early but we haven't been uh, we haven't faced enough adversity and then when the adversity comes in the match then we panic a little bit i'll give you an example last week in austin texas and i don't think they would mind me saying we practiced the first day with Marta Kostrick. And I believe we were up 6-1-3-love. And we were looking real good. She was not looking good. 
we lost first round. She won the tournament. <laughs> so, so you know, and actually yesterday we saw her and she said, hey, thanks for that practice. You kicked my ass and, uh, you know. So, so in a way, maybe we did for her what I also feel with Magda. Sometimes if the practices are going great, you get to the match court and you're going, I'm waiting for something to go wrong. Or, geez, I'm playing great. And then all of a sudden things aren't going so good that day or the other girls are playing well. And you haven't had that experience yet. So today with Sloan, um, we've had two, three really good practices since we've been here. But today with Sloan, she was uh, making life difficult for us. And we weren't playing like we had the last couple of days. And it was a little frustrating for her. And that's, for me, that makes me feel good that we've experienced that. Because uh, she had to deal with some frustration from her side. And, yeah, I think it's good to have a mix. I don't think you want to come out and win every practice or lose every practice. You, you know, you've got to find a balance. Yeah, poor dress rehearsal, I guess, leads to a good main show. Exactly. I think that's where you've got to figure out. I think Sampras said, you know, he, he basically never won a practice set. And also, you know, everyone that played him wants to beat him because, hey, if you come off the amount of people that have a story and say, I beat Sampras in practice, you know, or, or, or even Murray, I knew growing up in England, the amount of people, oh, I beat him when I was a junior or I beat him in practice six to six. Who cares? It means nothing because maybe that day he's working on... During the practice, I think one of the things that better players do as well is they work on finding their limit. So they're going, okay, this is as hard as I can hit the ball. Let me start with that and then work my way back in. Or this is as aggressive as I can be. Or I need to get in a little bit more to the net today because of the conditions. And they work on doing that to find where their limit is. I think the best player at doing that is Nadal. If you go watch his practices, the guy misses so much. And he hits the ball so hard and, 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 and long he misses because he's constantly in search of how hard, how high, how heavy can he hit the ball, how deep before he misses. If he's making balls in practice that are landing short, they are in. And he might not lose that practice point because he put the ball in, but it was short. If he's, doing, if he's leaving it short in practice, under pressure in a match, the ball's probably going to go even shorter or in the net. So he's pushing the boundaries in practice to hit as deep as he can, to hit as fast as he can, as heavy as he can. So that in a match, everything, you know, if you're hitting a 10 out of 10 in practice, it's probably going to dial down to an eight in a match. And so I think that's something that we're trying to do, but it's not comfortable. A lot of players are going to say, listen, I don't like that. I've just lost five practice sets doing that. Now I feel worse. Now I don't have confidence. So I think it's player to player as well. Of course. Now, as we uh, wind down this first edition of uh, Diary of WTA Coach, you've done one practice today. It's Wednesday. You've got a couple of days before you're going to play a match. So what's next? So today we have in 25 minutes, we start again on practice court. And we had signed up. Nobody was available to hit with us yet. So if by the time I go back to the court to start our second practice, if nobody's signed up, it'll be me and Magda on the practice court. We'll just work on some specific things. And then uh, she'll have a gym session. And then they have on-site physios that are provide physiotherapists that are provided by the tournament for the WTA and ATP. So she'll go get a couple of niggles taken care of that she's got just day-to-day -day maintenance stuff, whether it's stretching or just a little massage to make sure everything stays good. Um, and then we'll head back to the hotel. And by that time, it'll be probably a shower and get ready to go out for dinner, find, um, find a nice place to eat. And then tomorrow, there is a possibility of playing doubles tomorrow so we'll have to wait for the schedule to come out schedule will come out probably around six or seven this evening if no doubles then uh we'll do the same as today a couple of hours practice if we have doubles it'll be a warm-up 
uh, before the match, get some food and then go play. Now, I don't know about you, but I can never really sleep well before a match. Can you do so? I don't sleep well, particularly well anyway. Uh, before a match, I don't sleep well. After a match, I don't sleep well. <laughs> I'm never relaxed. I, 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 no, I haven't. Some guys are very relaxed. Some people, they, they do it a lot better than I do. No, I, I don't stop thinking about it. That's the, that's the definite weakness for me is it's a constant thing on my mind. So, yeah, I don't sleep well. Before a singles match, definitely not. Actually, Magda does. She, send, she seems to be quite good at getting her sleep before a match. But, you know, I think when you're working as much as they do, on the court every day and in the gym, there's the physical fatigue as well, which is why I try to keep my workouts as well, just to wear myself down physically. But mentally, it's, it's yeah, that's the part where you go back at night and you're thinking about, should I have done this or could we do this tomorrow or what's going to happen if this happens? And you run over every scenario you can. And unfortunately, in tennis, not like basketball or football, you don't have so much impact on the match. Because once it starts, although they've made some coaching legal now, it's still limited. You're down one end of the court. You can kind of whisper a few things if they hear you. So you really have to make sure as a tennis coach that you've done your preparation before the match. A lot of stuff needs to be done before because you can't make so many in-game adjustments. I was wondering about the dark glasses. Now we know it's just because you sleep, not because of the beautiful sun there in the desert. No, no, I look terrible. I can't take them off. They're glued <laughs> to my head permanently. All right, Mark Gallard, I think we finished the first edition of Diary of a WTA Coach. Thanks very much. And we'll talk this time next week. Uh, hopefully, Magda will have had a successful week or so. And perhaps we can really discuss the logistics and the travel problems that you've faced and yep. other things that WTA coaches go through week on week. There's plenty of those. And hopefully, as we get going with this thing, we'll get or I'll get more interesting to listen to. <laughs> well, let's hope so. I think that was pretty good. Thanks very much, Mark, and all the best. Thanks, Candy. Thanks, everyone. Well, I do hope you enjoyed the diary of a WTA coach. If you did enjoy it, feel free to rate and review, and we'd also welcome any questions you might like to ask Mark Gellard. We're both on social media. Mark Gellard and Candy Reid signing off for this week.